Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Future Facing Farms. It's a one-time series on six Minnesota farms at the forefront of conservation and environmental stewardship. We're talking about efforts to draw excess carbon dioxide from the air to mitigate climate change. We're talking assisted migration to help trees adapt to higher temperatures. And we're talking about practices that preserve habitats and ecosystems and biodiversity around farms and forests. There's no one perfect solution to the environmental challenges we're facing, but these folks are doing their part to help. I'm Nora Hurdle, reporter with the St. Cloud Times in central Minnesota, and this podcast is supported by the MIT Environmental Solutions Journalism Fellowship. Welcome to episode one. Thanks for joining us for this six-part series. My fellow reporter, Eric Newland, joins me for this first episode about a small farm in central Minnesota that raises beef and berries. It's working to restore the oak woodland landscape, which includes some trees and some grasslands. It's called Early Boots Farm, and it's run by Tyler Carlson and Kate Drosky. They have a three-year-old named Maddie, who you can hear in some of our audio today, squeaking around in the background. How did they get a name like Early Boots Farm? And uh, what do they grow there? Um, They have about 200 acres. It's near Sox Center. Uh, There are older wooded areas there, uh, rows of new trees that divide up pasture land. Uh, They have a few chickens and roosters walking around their yard. They have a a pen with quail in it. They have ducks, pigs, a few goats. Uh, They live there in a yurt, or they, they do in the summertime at least, and they have a lovely new barn that they built last year. Wow, that sounds cool. A lot of different animals. Yeah, it's really it's really pretty out there as well. I visited in July, and they have 25 lambs and more than 80 head of cattle, varying ages, including a number of calves. Uh, they also produce some fruit, sour cherries, and honey berries, um, which did really well this year. Kate picked a handful of the honey berries, which I have never seen before. We have photos at sctimes.com. They kind of look like an oblong blueberry. Did you get to taste them? I did, and they taste good. But it's it's kind of hard to think of how do you describe a different kind of berry. I'll have to try one sometime, too. Yeah, they're, they're yummy. Um, I'll let Kate explain the name of the farm. You can hear us walking between rows of crabapple trees that they call Grandpa's Windbreak because they were planted by Tyler's grandfather. When it's in boot stage, you can actually see the tip of the blade of grass bent almost at a 90 degree angle, so it kind of looks like a boot. Um, And that's right as it's about to form its seed head. So early boot is a little bit before that, and it's considered an ideal time to graze because there's lots of sugars in the plant that are going to give great energy to the animals that are grazing it, but it also has lots of energy stores in its root system, so it's feeding the soil, and the plant's going to be able to bounce back really well after grazing. So early boots is a name for a, a certain age of grass for the cows to eat? Yeah, it's a stage of development in a forage plant, which forages grass or other uh, plants that livestock munch on. Okay. So how is Early Boots Farm contributing to climate solutions? Well, Tyler, he thinks a lot about the impact of agriculture on the environment. He came to farming through an education in environmental science. He became interested in agroforestry in school, and that's agriculture that integrates trees. 
and he's also interested in restoration. He came to learn that cattle could be a key ingredient in restoring some landscapes, particularly prairie and grassland, and then um, like oak savanna, which incorporates trees and grassland. Large ruminants, so the bison and the elk and things that used to be here for tens of thousands of years, co-creating those prairie and oak savanna systems are gone now. Um, so how do we reintroduce that? And it just seemed like we were not achieving very great potential with restoration because those forces were missing. And so that's where like somehow we're trying to convert this work into profit to make it an economic driver. This is very expensive to do this. Just the stuff we did this spring with the seeding and the tree planting was grant funded, but everything else I've done in here has just been on my own time and dime. I just chip away at it, which is why it's not all done. It could go faster with the right equipment, but I don't. We're not at a scale where I could go buy $100,000 worth of equipment. And in the meantime, the livestock are helping. Like as I'm going along, they're, they're doing some work. So in addition to grazing cattle on the land, Tyler has been planting some trees, notably oaks, and taking out others. And his cows have been helping as well, right? Yeah, they kind of eat that brush that he doesn't want there. He has some buckthorn he's trying to get rid of, though the cattle the cattle don't tear it apart as much as he would like. They, they kind of eat around the edges, eat the leaves of the buckthorn. So what happened to his land to make it like this in the first place? I will let Tyler explain that in another clip. There, there are multiple ways for a savanna to have been degraded. Mostly they got cut down and turned into farmland. Others have been developed and they're now homes and neighborhoods and things. And then most of them, most of what's remaining has become this. It's become this. It's become afforested a is the term, an afforested savanna. So it's come into trees, whether it's native or non-native buckthorn. And the savanna has been degraded. The oak trees may or may not still be there. Probably they are. And, um, but you have all of these other, mostly native trees here, um, growing up in the space between because the fire is gone and so is the, the, the ruminant. Um, you know, the, the basically the components that helped to maintain it in grassland. Grassland and or grassland forbs, grassland shrub system underneath those oak trees. Um, and so when we do native restorations of um, afforested savannas, those trees get cut down and they get burnt or they get chipped. There's very little like timber value in it and so there's a short-term release of carbon and so we're all like really excited about this but it's also like oh actually these sites have been doing some serious carbon sequestration you know so like half of the carbon that we've released since the industrial age began has actually been absorbed by the land and the ocean that's why the ocean is acidifying the carbonic acid in the water is acidifying and the oceans have been doing a lot of work but so has the land and that's been happening in savannas and some areas maybe grasslands that are going from grasslands to trees so the buckthorn and invasive plants on his land have kind of been helping to capture some of that carbon even if they're non-native right and even if you don't want them to be there anything that's growing is pulling carbon dioxide out of the air and to some extent depositing it in the soil or locking it up in their trunk and stems and leaves and that kind of thing. So getting rid of it in the first place is almost a, a step back before we can 
step forward? Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting about Tyler's work is that he's kind of torn. You know, the restoration work is important for native habitat and even to help lock up carbon, which is a greenhouse gas. We want to lock it into the landscape. Um, but he also has to release some carbon by tearing out trees and plants that aren't traditionally part of the oak woodland landscape. And he, he has some really interesting thoughts on how just planting trees is not enough to reduce or turn back climate change. Some of the reason why we're also, I think that there's value in doing this work is that I think there's a good chance that Minnesota's forests start looking like California's forests and that fuel load buildup leads to catastrophic fire within the century. Um, the livestock can do good work here limiting fuel loads, which limits the, likely, the, the likeliness of a fire taking place or becoming conflagration scale fire. Um, so I think that there's a question of whether like planting forest with our changing climate or trying to manage something as forest on the boundaries of where forest is happy. Um, to me, I question whether that's a good risk plan. I, I wonder if the savanna, which was already fire prone, is maybe more climate resilient than a forest that is a forest until it all burns up. Right, so when we plant, we're planting all these trees and it's like, we assume that those trees are going to live for hundreds and hundreds of years, but we've seen plenty of places where they assumed that as well. And that's all gone in, in, in a day or whatever, you know? And so I, I that's just my perspective is that I, I, I'm having like, I'm wrestling with this, like we're, we're releasing carbon, cutting these trees down. You know, we have no great option for what to do with this carbon. Um, and the answers don't seem obvious to me. Um, that just planting trees is a magical solution, right? And there's the limitation of the seedling production that has to be massively scaled up. What would be so difficult about um, producing more seedlings? It takes a couple years to produce a seedling, first of all. So you have to get enough seeds. You have to... Um, I actually visited the state nursery. So our, our state DNR produces about 4 million seedlings a year or sells about 4 million seedlings a year. But they have a whole facility where they have to heat up the pine cones and shake out the seeds. And then you have to germinate the seeds and plant them. We do have an episode later... Um, where we talked to some farmers about raising seedlings for a tree planting initiative. But there's a lot of demand for seedlings because, because of forest fires and because of uh, climate change mitigation. Both Democrats and Republicans are interested in planting more trees as a natural climate solution. So it, it seems like there's a lot of stuff going around the country to help absorb more carbon dioxide into plants? Yes, indeed. That's called carbon sequestration, and there are programs to ramp it up in agriculture and forestry. In episode two, I talk with our friend Sarah Kocher about a new pilot program to pay farmers to do just that. Cool. Can't wait to hear it. It's a fun episode, and you can learn more about it, see photos and videos, and read the series on natural climate solutions at sctimes.com. Thank you so much for joining us. All you listeners out there, I'm Nora Hurdle. And I'm Eric Newland. Thank you for listening. <laughs>